Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. Tulum Bay. Tulum Bay is weak. We need to rebuild. The epic fiction podcast Tulum Bay returns. Have we met before? Oh, yes, General. You have no choice. It has to be done. In the name of God, what have you done? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Movie crushers, Chuck, your your singing voice is beautiful. <laughs> it's time to mini crush it out with Noel. I'm so happy to be here to mini crush it with you, Chuck. What if we did the whole thing in sing song? It would work for about a minute and a half, and then it would wear thin <laughs> for us it, and the listeners. I think it already wore thin. Well, in there you go. Twenty seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, how you doing? Good man, I'm good. What you wearing there? Got a panda shirt on. I got a panda shirt. My girlfriend went to New York City and went to Chinatown and went to a kung fu store and bought me this adorable panda shirt. Oh, I thought you were going to say went to a restaurant that served panda. No, that would be (laughs) that would not be on Chuck. That would be untoward. Pandas are. (laughs) She didn't have a panda steak. Beautiful creatures. Is that a thing? I don't think so. Surely not. No, I mean people eat weird meats. yeah. And people for sure eat bear. Yeah. Have you heard of bush meat? You know what bush meat is? Yeah. I mean, isn't it any kind of weird? I think it's just weird meat. Yeah. I'm not into any of that stuff. Nope. Not even. What about bison? Do you draw the line there? You ever, you ever had a bison? I'll, uh, I've, I've had a bison burger. Yeah. It's a good burger. It's a good burg. It's got kind of a gamey flavor. <laughs> what a weird way to start out a You know show. what, man? It takes all kinds on these <laughs> mini crushes. So uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us here in the studio. It is another morning recording. We've kind of gotten to a trend of doing these on Wednesday mornings. I'm fond of it. You are? Yeah, it's a good way to start the day. It sets the tone. You know, it just makes me kind of in a good mood for the rest of the day. Hey, thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. You're like, well, it's really kind of a bummer, and it really sort of gets me off in the wrong direction, but we do it anyway. No, that is the opposite of how I feel. <laughs> uh, all right. So everybody, I posted some social studies last night. Uh, so the forsaken West Coast could get involved because uh, I get complaints because sometimes I post these things in the morning before you record and I don't leave them up long. The story there, I've said it before, I'll say it again, is because, A, I don't want it to be spoiled. So I only leave it on there for 10 minutes maybe even so I can get everyone I need and then I wipe it off the face of the earth and that is not fair and I get it. And the West Coast is going to tumble into the sea soon anyway, so you might as well throw them a bone. That's true. So uh, apologies if you don't like my ways, but um, this is how we're doing it. (laughs) Uh, And for social studies. Social studies on Movie Crush. 
I threw out for this episode, what movie scene makes you cry every single time? Which is really something, if you ask me, Noel, because uh, for a scene to be so um, emotionally fraught that that it brings you to tears, I think is a big deal and a strong, powerful thing to do. Yeah, well, in the first place, but then to in be the able first to place. repeat it. That says something. A lot. Uh, and I'm a crier, as everyone knows. I cry a lot at things, especially in art. Uh, when I'm moved, sometimes it doesn't even have to be sad. Sometimes it can be something just – I can be so in the moment that it will bring tears to my eyes. So that's where I'm coming from. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and tick through some of these, and I'm going to read through as many as I can. Uh, Zach Pointer says, The Passion, Crucifying Jesus. How about that? Right out of the gate. That's heavy, man. <laughs> uh, Jane Longshore says, Deborah Winger, uh, Death Scene in Terms of Endearment. Sorry if that spoiled anything for you, but that movie's been out for 40 years, so uh, one of the saddest movies. And, you know, my story with that one is I, I watched that on a plane last year for the first time, which was a big mistake. Mm. Ugly crying on a plane. Yeah, that's not a good look. The saddest movie, one of the saddest movies. In terms ever. of endearment. Oh, I always man. confuse that one in my mind with Steel Magnolias. I know they totally have nothing to do with each other, and that's just me being dumb. <laughs> uh, terms of Endearment is the better film. Got it. I think. Uh, Carrie McQuaid says, Atonement, after being wrongfully imprisoned for years, James McAvoy and Kira Knightley have only minutes together before he is shipped off to World War II. Boy, I need to see that one. I never saw that. Elisa uh, Edwards' Coco at the end, when she sings Remember Me with her great grandson. Uh, with her grandson. Oh. oh, my Lord. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. My pretty, daughter's pretty like, pretty Daddy, great. why are your eyes wet? What's wrong with you, Daddy? <laughs> That's what my daughter says. She's nine. She doesn't cry yet at stuff like that. She, no, but, uh, no, but it's a similar reaction, though, to your your younger child is like, Daddy, why are your eyes wet? My nine-year-old is like, Daddy, what's wrong with you? Right. Like, <laughs> I'm a real human. Yeah. That's what's wrong with me. Uh, Lainey Barcelona, great name, says Bright Star. So I assume, Lainey, you were a fan of uh, previous guest Paul Schneider, who was in that movie. Uh, she just says the whole movie, I guess, in Bright Star. Rhonda Hoth Crabtree, International Velvet. Uh, Christine Fordham says, I'm not into sports even, but every time I watch them lift Rudy, I lose it. Yeah. I once had to cut together a series of kind of powerful moving clips for a corporate video for a company that I worked at. Yeah. And they requested that moment from Rudy. <laughs> oh, man. Things have taken a turn for the better in your life. Yeah, they really have. <laughs> uh, Luis Martinez says, The Iron Giant. And spoiler alert coming if you haven't seen this movie, everyone. But he says the big finale when the Iron Giant sacrifices himself. Woo. And then he cries more when they show the exploded parts bringing themselves back together. That was a tough one. I haven't seen that. Oh, it's a good movie. You'd no, like it. No. Uh, Kate Jacobson says the fox and the hound can't handle her dropping that little fox off at the edge of the forest and leaving him behind. Yeah, I mean, I've said it before. These Disney or animated films in general just wreck people. I think that's part of their purpose. It's by design. It's true. And it all carries over from the original Disney template yeah. into the Pixar world, and they just kind of keep refining it. Destroy you, then build mm -hmm. you back then up. Then build you back up. <laughs> Jennifer Wright, Bridges of Madison County, when Meryl Streep sees Clint Eastwood in town and almost runs away with him, but doesn't and watches him drive away. Great movie. Jen, oh, goodness, McGillivray. I think that's correct. Uh, pretty much every Pixar movie, but the opening scene in Up, uh, opening scenes and up, for sure. That's a favorite. 
Yeah. Favorite? Is that the right word? A favorite uh, tearjerker cry moment? Yeah, that, that should be right. Um, you always hear people re- referencing that scene as being one of the more powerful moments in the Pixar movie. This is where you see the husband and wife kind of throughout their life and pictures and growing old together and all that stuff, right? Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that one, that Emily saw that movie and was like, I'm never going to see an animated movie again because mm-hmm. it kills me. And then she saw Coco. And yeah, and then it killed her again. Killed her again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Logan, uh, Logan Corsot, I'm going to just read this word for word because it's a great comment. The scene in Toy Story 3 when they all think they're about to fucking die gets me every single time. The closed-eyed, uh, ready acceptance of this fate by Woody really seals it. Pixar is a bunch of criminals. <laughs> Indeed. War criminals, mind criminals. I love it. William Angus, The End of Defending Your Life. Great movie. Uh, when Albert Brooks refuses to quit and they open the doors. Gets me uh, so dusty in my room. It gets so dusty in my room. Uh, Joe Janka, the scene near the end of Life Aquatic, when uh, Zisu uh, finally sees a jaguar shark. And Steve says, do you think it remembers me? I don't remember that being super... Weepy? I don't remember anything in that movie being super weepy. Yeah? It was all very kind of like straightforward to me. That's my, I think I've said it, it's my least favorite uh, uh, Wes Anderson movie. Oh, it is? Oh, yeah. least favorite. Least favorite. Yeah. Just, it just, I've, I've tried, I've, I've tried multiple times. And it, it never grabs me the way the other ones do. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think it had the heart that a lot of his movies have. Yeah, it felt very flat to me kind yeah. of, you know? same here. Uh, I tell you what does make me cry, though, speaking of Wes Anderson, is the scene in Royal Tannenbaums at the end when... Uh, when Gene Hackman gives uh, Ben Stiller uh, the the Dalmatian after his dog had just been killed. Yes. And he says, uh, Ben Stiller's voice cracks, and he says, it's been a rough year. Yeah. Now, that movie's got a lot of heart. Tons of heart. Yeah. You know why? Owen Wilson co-wrote it. All those movies were Owen Wilson. Interesting. Until... Those first three were co-written by Owen Wilson. Yeah, it's just like I almost wonder if maybe Wes Anderson isn't just the surgically minded auteur with the aesthetic genius and and Life Aquatic is almost like taking that aesthetic and applying it to a narrative. And it doesn't quite yeah, hit maybe. the same for me as those other ones. I didn't know that. Yeah, co-writing credit thing. Uh, oh, by the way, everyone, you'll enjoy this little tidbit. Former guest Dave Willis, uh, the great Dave Willis of Squidbillies and Aqua Teen Hunger Force came in here to talk about Bottle Rocket um, a few months ago, and you can go listen to that episode. Dave texted me from France. He bumped into Wes Anderson on the streets of France vacationing with his family about two weeks ago. Nice. And talked to him and said it was a great interaction, and uh, how about that? That's awesome. Like one, I think one of his favorite filmmakers, if not his favorite. Yeah. And he was probably dressed to the nines in some sort of yeah. tweed suit. Yeah. I, in house, fact, I asked him tooth. that, and, yeah. he, and he was. He was yeah. all Wes Anderson doubt. Uh, Zisu uh, was co-written by Noah Baumbach. I had forgotten yeah. that. So different different team, different vibe. Yeah, Noah Baumbach has a lot of heart, though. So He does. Know. Yeah. It's very weird. Uh, Alexander P- uh, Pierce, me, Earl, and the dying girl. I totally agree. When he shows her the movie he made for, uh, maybe a little on the nose. Yeah. But, boy, was that a, a enjoyable little indie. Totally agree. By the way, everybody, it's not right, and I said this off air, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to skip anything from now on that says Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Why, Chuck? I don't know, man. I'm just sick of people talking about those movies. Hey, speaking of sick of people talking about a movie, have you seen the fucking thread on the movie crushers about Harry Potter? 
Oh, no. Well, someone just posted, it was Dawn M., uh, who says, Welp, Crushers, it's time. Let's join Noel and dig in and unpack how we feel about Harry Potter. Mm. And then it just proceeds to be an, an infinity thread. Oh, nice. Of everyone, feel, you know, how they feel about Harry Potter. Wow, I got to check that out. Yeah. Thank you, Movie Crushers, for your interaction. That is always fun to see. Uh, Jessica Lynn Dalba, or Dalba, says the scene in Titanic when the mom is singing her kids to sleep so they won't be scared of dying. Yeah, Jessica, that means you're a live human with a beating heart. <laughs> That's a proper reaction. Uh, Colleen Zacker, another vote for Fox and the Hound. Uh, Mike Mead, interesting. Major League in the final play when the umpire signals safe. I get teary-eyed and I don't even like baseball. All right. That's interesting, Mike. Uh, Bobby Adams says uh, Mufasa's death scene in The Lion King. Well, yeah. I never saw The Lion King. What? It was in that time where I was, you know. Yeah. I think it was in my 20s. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, you weren't. Well, someone... In the cartoon show I work on, Drawn, the story of animation plug, um, we talked to somebody. Oh, I know it was an animation story. And he talks about how it's not cool for a 20-something-year-old man to go see a Disney movie alone. <laughs> yeah. That's just an interesting point. A little could be a creep. So once you get the kids <laughs> back in the picture, or at least you go with your, your nerd herd. Right. Then that's a little, you know, maybe that's why you missed The Lion King. Yeah, that's totally why I missed yeah. it. But no, that scene is intense though, because Mufasa like falls into the gorge, and there's this trampling stampede of oh. wildebeests, and he's all like, Rawr! and Simba's like, no, and all that. Yeah. Man, mm -hmm. how about that? Big, big tears, big moment. Here's an LA insider story. I went to the vet once, and was sitting in the back, and uh, they brought in in the back, like as in where that you're not the waiting room, but sure. where the action is, mm -hmm. and they brought in Jonathan Taylor Thomas. And his cat, Simba, because mm -hmm. he voiced Simba, right? He was the voice of the kid Simba, yeah. He had a cat named Simba. Yeah. And they were trying to put a face hood on his cat, on Simba, to do some procedure. Because some cats, you know, they're worse than dogs sometimes yeah. about yeah. biting in, at the vet. And uh, so they have these, like, Hannibal Lecter hoods they put over their faces. And they, this cat was making – it sounded like they were killing this cat. And Jonathan Taylor Thomas was sitting across from me, and his eyes were just like – holy shit, what is going on with my cat? Yeah. And I was just like, this is so L.A., I can't uh -huh. even get over it. It is, yeah. It's really funny. Or not that funny. Uh, J.M. Arroyo says the color purple when uh, Celie meets her kids. Uh, I try to not cry and end up with a sore throat. Just let the tears flow, buddy. That's what I say. Steve Swanson, Jeff Bridges, finally breaks down The Fisher King. Love that movie. Chris McIntyre, beginning of Up and the end of Saving Private Ryan. Uh, Abigail Cam Leiter says Hachi. I didn't see that one, but I know the story. Can't even think about it without a great heaving sobbing going on. Uh, Rich, go ahead. What is this movie? Hachi. Mm. I think it's it's the story about the dog in, uh, I believe, Japan who comes back to the same place to try and meet his owner every day. Oh, that's after sound, the owner oh, dies. oh, oh. Well, that's it's like sound, a true story. Well, sure, that's going to – that just your description there alone yeah. just <laughs> got me we're get both, a little weepy. We're both crying in here, everyone. Uh, Yoda dying in Return of the Jedi. That's from Varric Grassley. Uh, Jill sort of Vendum of Mice and Men. Doesn't matter which version. Yeah, totally. Uh, Roxanne Cardon, uh, when the little girl in Hope Floats cries after her father. Well, I don't even know. I'll never know what happens to her father. <laughs> Why? That's how the sentence ended. Oh, no. Maybe she died. I don't know. In mid-sentence, like. Oh, uh... my God. Don't even say that. I know. I'm kidding. Uh, Alan Tier says, when the imaginary friend disappears, 
and Inside Out. Boy, that whole movie was the feels. That was yeah. I've talked about that before. That was that was the, that was a big daddy. What's wrong with you? Movie for me. <laughs> yeah. What's the what's the character's name? Mister Mister Bobbledygook. Oh God, I can't remember his damn name. Mister Oingo Boingo. I don't know. It's something like that. It's mm. a hybrid of those two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dylan Orr, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, when he's fighting to not forget Clementine. I totally agree there. Uh, when E.T. dies, and again when E.T. leaves. That's from Christian Seeley. Uh, just a couple of more here. Uh, David Horath, the ending of Dear Zachary. Boy, you ain't kidding. One of the most brutal documentaries you'll ever see. Uh, and then that is it, everyone. So thanks for your social studies contributions. Um, and again, I'm sorry if you didn't get to to find your way in this one. Just just be on Facebook at all times. That's my advice. <laughs> for sure. That's not true. Well, you know, I mean... Maybe not at all times, but, you know, keep, 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 keep an eye peeled. Keep an eye peeled. Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock. He constantly bricks threes. And he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With Geico, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. Hey, it's Ben, Henry, and Marcus, hosts of The Last Podcast on the Left. Our show's dedicated to uncovering hilariously horrifying stuff. And now we're only on Spotify. Join us. If you want. Obviously, we never force anyone to just blindly join us. That'd be crazy! But if you like stories about doomsday cults who do exactly that and more, please join us on Spotify. Visit spotify.com slash last podcast to listen free. All right, we're going to move on to trope time, everyone, because the tropes just keep rolling in. Uh, In fact, I'm going to start off with one that was just posted on Facebook uh, yesterday from Skylar Banks, because this one is a classic. When the nerdy kid in every rom-com takes off their glasses and immediately is, she puts in quotes, rightfully, better looking. That's in, that's such a trope that it's a trope of a trope at this point. And I like that you put in quotation marks, better looking, because I do, not to get all soapboxy, but uh, it is a bit of a thing in movies to where, you know, I, I really like this person, and I think they're awesome, and their personality is great, and they're funny, but they're just not good-looking enough for me. And then they get the little makeover, and then they're good-looking enough for me. Not a great message at all, and it's part of the problem. So, soapbox over. Uh, let me see here. Sherry Oldenburg, this is a good one. Meet a deep, deep throat type informant somewhere. Secluded, you get distracted and look away for one moment and look back, and they have silently disappeared. That's a great Great trope. Good one, Cherry. Uh, let me see. Leah Sturgis, the unrealistic amount of eating out and ordering food takeout. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but do people really spend that much time eating out? I guess it depends, Leah. And it's probably just for cinematic purposes rather than cooking in your kitchen would be my guess. Oh, this is a good one from Kayla MH. Something is very time sensitive. So let's take a couple of seconds to stare at each other before cutting the wire or jumping off something. (laughs) That's a good one for sure. Very heavily used trope. Uh, Let me see here. Oh, Rachel O'Reilly. This is a good one in rom-coms. 
a female in the office drops a stack of papers or books or whatever. Male drops down to help eyes meet, sparks fly. Is that, that's what they call the meat cute, right? One version of it, yeah, for sure. Which which is a, a disgusting sounding term to me. I know it's a different form of the word meat, but I hear it and I can't not think of just meat, cute meat. Yeah, I mean that's the the goal in every rom com is that very first meeting of our two eventual lovers um, has to be a meat cute. There has to be some cutie little way a spark that it happens. Mm-hmm. Can you think of some more of meat cute? Yeah. Like they're they're just so on the nose. Like I think that paper stack dropping one is a good one, or maybe just like a oh, and then when they bend down, they hit, they bump their heads. Yeah, and, and then, then it oh, just becomes oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, or like the you know they hail the same cab, like yep. stuff like that mm-hmm. for sure. Those are all good. No, uh, Mike Ireland when a character says they will never, I mean never do X Y or Z, then it smash cuts to them doing exactly what they said they would never do. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Very much. Another good, another good one, kind of like that, is like just we're just gonna have one drink. Smash cut to right. everyone <laughs> smashed. Uh, let me see here. Tyler Resin Stoneman. Music will always determine how a person should feel watching the movie. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I call that a trope. That's just sort of how movie scores work. Um, although the good ones will will not so much tell you how to feel. I think. Yeah, or even sometimes go counter to like like not not conflicting but like where the music has an ironic tone to it where like something really you. heavy is happening and then the music is like some kind of light like pop song or something yeah. and or yakety sax exactly well <laughs> best song ever should be in every movie uh jay frazier when a person holding a gun cocks the gun in mid-argument very common trope for sure i would already have that gun cocked uh, Reese Cawson says the whole good guys don't look at explosions thing. Yeah, that's for sure. Or slowly walking away from the explosion. I believe we've already mentioned that. It's kind of the same thing. Oh, Megan Carroll. Boy, this one bugs me. People lighting a cigarette, taking one drag, and then throwing it away. She said, it drives me nuts. No real smoker does that. That's true, because a real smoker would be like, no, no, no. I don't care what's going on. I'm going to finish my cigarette before we leave. Yeah, it's very true. What a waste. Uh, Eric Kachet, good name. Um, When a character talks about their future or their hopes and dreams, it's a death sentence every time. For sure. Uh, Let me do a couple more here. Uh, Rob Johnson says, sci-fi movies proposing an incredibly complicated scientific premise and then re-explaining it in kindergarten terms. Uh like sticking a pencil through a piece of paper to explain wormholes. That's true. Really got to spell it out in some of these movies. Uh, Jana. Ooh, goodness. Rifa Gerste. Rifa Gerste. Jana Rifa Gerste. Sounds like uh, Nordic. I don't know. She looks fairly Nordic. Okay. Okay. Uh, she says computers and technology in general working in ways they never would in real life, even though the movie is set in present day. Yeah, well, I, we, we've talked about this one before, I think, where it definitely in the 90s especially, the depiction of computers and the internet yeah, yeah. was always just dumb. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, it would either be some sort of way over-the-top version of zooming through a world of like kind of 3D rendered like buildings or right. depicting the internet in some like yeah. palpable way. But now I feel like they've kind of figured out ways around that. 
You yeah. know, I think it's better. For sure. And the whole trope of the password thing, like being able to crack a password in 30 to 40 seconds, which always happens in movies. It's true. And I, this is not a spoiler, just one moment from that movie um, that your boy Boots Riley did that I actually saw last night. Sorry to bother you. Yeah. That we're going to hopefully do a little mini review of soon. Um, there's an amazing gag in it where there's a password for an elevator uh-huh. that's like it takes 20 minutes to do. Oh, really? And so it's, just, just, it's just a great sight gag. He where took it's the piss just, out of it's a trope. It's just hilarious. Yeah, we'll do a crush to judgment on that one for sure. Mike Mead, we're going to finish up with two more. Mike Mead, two slaps on the top of a car when it starts driving away by the person not in the car. You know that old gag. You get out of the car and you're like, I'm ready. And you like tap on the car for the cabbie to leave or whatever. Right. I do that in real life. Oh, what a jerk. Because of movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I kind of like, it's a nod and a wink in my book. Uh, and then finally, Jeff Fowler says, telephone uh, telephone booth venting. Character has a phone call that doesn't go well in a phone booth, <laughs> then beats up the handset. That's right. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Nothing <laughs> like smashing a receiver like in the old days. Well, and, and clearly phone booths are completely soundproof. Yeah, because the, sh- the shot from outside, you see them just like screaming. Oh yeah, like yeah. primally screaming inside, <laughs> right. and it's like anything. you can't hear it. <laughs> That's true. I miss phone booths. I know you can't smash an iPhone. I guess you could. Well, even now, here's the thing, Chuck. When you see even see remnants of pay phones, they're not booths. They're just like on a wall, left over in a subway station or something. Yeah, very few actual you don't booths see a booth. that you step into. They do have them in in the UK, though, I believe. Phone phone boxes, that's a thing. Yeah, like the, the red ones, yeah, right? Uh-huh. That, that look like you could take a poop in there. And also, they look like you could probably withstand a nuclear blast in there because they look like they're made of real heavy material. Yeah, I agree. I'm Robert Evans. I'm the host of Behind the Bastards, and it could happen here. Uh, And I do a lot of investigative journalism studying the international fascist movement and all of this creeping authoritarian terrorism um, that we're increasingly seeing uh, in 2020 and 2019. And uh, I'm generally pretty bummed out as a result. So in the summer of 2019, I went looking for hope. And I found it in what you might consider to be an unlikely place, northeastern Syria, Rojava. This is the place that's generally referred to as the Kurds. Uh, when the Western media talks about the fighting against ISIS. I first heard about Rojava in 2014 through a series of half-credible far-left blog articles and social media posts. The picture they painted was of an anarchist feminist utopian project in Syria, one that was fundamentally reforming society at the same time as it led the battle against the Islamic State. It all sounded too good to be true, and I was instantly suspicious, so I traveled there to see what the reality was. You can learn about what I found and the people I met by listening to The Women's War, which releases on March 25th on the iHeartRadio network. Listen to The Women's War on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're moving on, everyone, to finish up with Stream This and uh, Comment Card, which are the listener mails from you to us. Uh, Stream This, this one's a little late. But I am just now watching the OA. Did you see the OA? Yeah, I enjoyed it very much. All right. Well, I'm I'm not I'm only into the first like handful of episodes. Mm-hmm. And I just quick background. The reason I'm watching this is because A, Emily and I were like, we need a new TV thing we can just sort of binge over the next couple of weeks. Um because uh, it's been a minute since we've done that. And uh we got an email, Josh and I of stuff you should know, got an email from an OA casting director. They said, hey, guys, uh, 
Would you be interested in being in a scene in season two of the OA playing yourselves where you're interviewing like an Elon Musk type? Nice. Right? Yeah. So I had heard of the show. It caused a lot of buzz. Yeah. But I hadn't seen it. But I was like, sure, I will totally do that. She's like, it's like one day. And Josh was like, yeah, man, let's totally do it. So I emailed back. I was like, yeah, you know, like, where do we show up? And she was like, all right, well, um, good to know you're into it. I'll submit your name um, with the other podcasters we've reached out to. Oh, no. (laughs) It seemed like like a sure thing. That's awful. What a bait and switch. I kind of wanted to withdraw my name and be like, oh, no, that's okay. Use Roman Mars. (laughs) That is too funny. Oh, man. I mean, it still may happen. But I know. No, I'm, I'm sure it will. It was definitely like a little bit of a, oh, I thought this was just sort of a done deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a, that's a sort of takes the wind out of your sails. Like, do we have to audition? Just listen to the podcast. They'll know. get one look at me and be like, mm, I don't know about that. Let's just have Josh. Anyway, I'm watching the OA now because that made me remember that show uh, created by uh, Britt Marling and her uh, filmmaking partner, Zal. How do you pronounce that? Bat Manglish? I'm not quite sure. I don't think I've ever heard it spoken. All right. I'm going to say that. And they have made a couple of movies together and I believe are old pals from from college and made this this show on Netflix called The OA where uh, a woman in the in the pilot episode shows up seven years after disappearing and she was blind when she disappeared and she has vision when she is back. And she also has all these strange scars on her back that you don't really get a look at at first that are in some strange, looks like language or pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, she had been adopted uh, by her parents, we learn, uh, in subsequent episodes. And uh, her parents welcome her back into her home. And then the way that she tells us, you know, this this thing sets it up in the first episode is like, well, what, what a weird mystery. This woman shows up. I wonder what this is going to be. And then in the last 10 minutes of the pilot, 12 minutes of the pilot, she t- starts to tell the story of where she'd been to these uh, teenagers she'd gathered up uh, in, in an abandoned – or not abandoned, a house under construction because she supposedly needs them to accomplish some task from uh, from where she had been. She has some some task at hand. Uh, but then the it just goes batshit crazy in the last 10 or 12 minutes of this pilot where all of a sudden she tells the story of how she lost her sight and you're like, what just happened in this TV show? So I'm just now getting into it, but it's a it has all the markings of a show I'm into, and I've read enough about it to where I know that it just there are a lot of twists and turns, yeah. and it's a very unusual show from what I understand. And if you've seen her films, like Another Earth is one, and I think Sound of My Voice is another one. Yeah. There's a lot of push and pull between uh-huh. is this real? Yeah, is this in someone's head? And that's not giving anything away. That's just a thing that she and her uh, her buddy like to play with. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very successful, and it's cool to see it drawn out in a series rather than just like in an hour and a half film. Um, there, there's one movie they made about like uh, environmental, an environmental kind of terrorist group uh-huh. that I wasn't crazy about, but the other two I, I really like a lot. Another Earth and uh, Sound of My Voice are pretty great. I've, um, I haven't seen either one of those, yeah, but I've heard about them. Very, and she's she's in. Both of them as well, yeah. And so I, I, I'm a fan of of, of her work, uh, yeah. very much so. So I'm, I'm anxious to see what season two holds because season one ends on that kind of answering that question that I'm that I just posed. Like, uh-huh. is it uh, is right, it in right. someone's head? Is it real? Um, and I, I'm like, okay, is that the end? Obviously, it's not. So it up. I want to see where they go with it. But I, I'm a huge fan of the show. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, but very divisive because 
I've heard people say they hated it. Well, it's got that lost quality to it. You're either kind of for it or against it, you know, where it's yeah. like some people don't like getting jerked around or feel like they're being jerked around by that whole is it sure. real, is it fake thing. And this I, I can do that. definitely leans into that pretty hard. But I, I yeah. think I think it pays off uh, pretty well. Awesome. I can't wait. I read a little bit on it last night that this one reviewer said it was like the most purely artistic, most pure artistic expression that they had seen on TV in a long time. It also incorporates dance, weirdly, in a, in a way that oh, you, really? you can't even imagine if you're only in the first episode. Oh, I can't wait. It's really cool. It's a, it's a, it right. becomes a, a recurring theme in the show. It's pretty beautiful. Well, we'll have to follow up on that then, Noel. I'm sure we'll be finished with that in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I, th- I think you guys will enjoy it. But I'm anxious to see what questions you have, and I'd love to talk about it with you guys. Awesome. Uh, all right, comment card, and I'll keep everyone up to date if Josh and I actually make the cut or if they go with uh, the McElroy brothers. Um, All right. Comment card. We'll do five questions from you to us. Aaron Burke says, uh, what are two unrelated, as in not the same franchise, movies that make a perfect double feature? That's a good question. And Aaron, I gave this a little thought and kind of went with uh, old school since I'm an old man of uh, the original Alien and The Thing. Um, Those two movies go great together, like peanut butter and chocolate. So that's my pick. Do you have one, Noel? Good double feature? Uh, from two unrelated movies. Yeah, 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 I, I see. A like good, not a good, Avengers uh, 1 and 2. A good pairing, a good uh, yeah. a good curated double feature. You know, I would need to, to think about that. Let me, let's, 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 maybe I'll tell you in the next episode. All right. <laughs> uh, Rebecca Nunn says, what is your favorite sports movie? Well, Rebecca... I'm going to go with my top three with a couple of uh, honorable mentions. So you might want to call it a top five. But without giving it too much thought, I I went with Hoosiers as my favorite sports movie of all time. Hoosiers gets me every single time. Love, love, love that movie. That's the basketball one, right, with Gene Hackman? Yeah, man. Indiana? Good movie, yep. Because, um, I mean, the sports thing is a is a big part of it, obviously. But it's a really good film about relationships and family and the complications of fathers and sons and ghosts of our past. Really good film. Uh, And then I'm going to go with The Natural, Robert Redford's great baseball classic with uh, Glenn Close. Uh, I'm going to go with Rocky, one. Mm -hmm. Great, great movie. Did you see Creed? Great movie. You see there's Creed 2 coming out? I'm going to go see that too. It looks good. I'm all in, It looks good. (laughs) I thought Creed was really good. I'm into the fact that you get uh, a, a, a new a reboot mm-hmm. to a a sequeled heavily sequeled franchise like that, and then Pretty you get cool. and then you get the sequel to the reboot, yeah. <laughs> and it's got old Rocky in it as the old man. I think it's yeah. genius. It was really pretty smart, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, uh, to go with Apollo Creed's yeah. son. It's it's natural. And what's his face? Michael B. Jordan is he's just great. The, he's the, he's he's awesome. And I've liked him since uh, The Wire. Oh yeah, he was the kid in The Wire. That's right. Well, one of the kids. But, Holy shit. You know. Uh, and then a couple honorable mentions for baseball movies, uh, Bull Durham and Major League, two of the great baseball comedies. Uh, Bull Durham is a really funny movie. My wife, Emily, does not care anything about sports for the most part, and Bull Durham is one of her favorite comedies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She loves it. Major League is funny with Charlie Sheen, right? Yeah. That first one was good. Yeah. Maybe. You may run like Hayes, but you hit like shit. That's right. <laughs> That's one of my That's favorite lines. Probably a little <laughs> problematic if you go back and watch it now. 
Maybe. Well, maybe some insensitivity, perhaps. Maybe. I don't know. I'm trying to think. I'm sure they're, it's a comedy from that era, so yeah. it's bound to not stand up today. Uh, all right, three more. Abby Zakos says, what's your favorite blooper reel of a movie? Uh, again, because I'm an old man, the first thing that comes to my mind are the great Burt Reynolds movies, uh, Hooper and Cannonball Run, were notorious for their wonderful, wonderful blooper reels at the end credits. Um, I know people are doing that a little bit more now with some of these comedies. For sure. Uh, and I will say this. I, I rewatched a bit of The Hangover the other night, which I hadn't seen in a long time, the first one. And although it's not a blooper reel, I thought it was really sort of ingenious comedically at the end of that movie to show the role of film. The pictures, yeah. It was really kind of funny. Well, that was that was The Hangover. That, that, was, that was the night. That was the night that they just hint around in the movie. Yeah, itself. it's really, really funny payoff at the end of that film, I think. If I'm not mistaken, Anchorman has a really good blooper reel at oh. the end. Well, shit. I'm pretty positive because Will Ferrell's yeah. a master of just like riffing and a lot of bloopers are like they'll start a take uh-huh. and then the actor will take the piss out of everybody. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's not him fucking up. It's just him choosing to. I don't see how they held, held it together during that film yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love I love that first thing. very, right? very good. Uh, all right, a couple more. Nick Jackson, if someone doesn't cry during Sling Blade, is it safe to assume they don't have a soul? Correct, Nick. I've said it before. Uh, Sling Blade to me is a damn near perfect movie. I cannot find a fault in it. It is it is one of the more perfect movies uh, the, of all time to me. Hits it on all levels. It's all great. Well, it's also like not so overwrought. It's like a very simple story, very simple kind of character study. Mm-hmm. It's obviously got complexities to it, but it doesn't try too hard it just like no. does accomplishes what it sets out to do yeah it's very very good movie yeah no. very effective uh and then finally from emily blunt noel's favorite uh favorite movie crusher best ensemble cast in a mockumentary emily blunt the actress <laughs> we're gonna do this every time uh-huh. all right uh best ensemble cast in a mockumentary she says drop dead gorgeous um maybe on the nose for me but i'm gonna go with I'm going to probably flip a coin between Waiting for Guffman uh, or Best in Show. Maybe lean toward Best in Show because of Jane Lynch. Yeah. Whom I love and whom I'm hoping to get in here. She's coming to Atlanta in December. Uh-huh. Okay. Are they doing a reboot of Glee or something? Or? No. She does a uh, Christmas, a live Christmas show. Oh, cool. With singing with uh, one of the actors from The Office, uh, the lady who played the drunk. What's her name? You know, I don't remember. I know the character well, but I cannot remember the actress. Yeah, apparently name. she's a really good singer, and so they do this, like, song and dance Christmas show uh, with a, uh, another gentleman. So, anyway, I just saw that yesterday. They're That's awesome. to Atlanta. Where are they doing that in Atlanta? They are at City Winery, right oh, next door. Oh, nice. Well, they, well it's easy. Yes. Yeah. Let's get them both. All right, so Guffman or Best in Show, Emily Blunt is my answer. And uh, that's it for this week, everyone. I believe your homework this week, let me check my handy-dandy spreadsheet, is... Uh, Oh, yeah. It is uh, Eric Slick. Eric Slick is a drummer, another drummer, for one of my uh, favorite bands, Dr. Dog, Philly, uh, Philly's own Dr. Dog. Great, great group. I've been with them from the beginning since I was seeing those guys in tiny rooms with 50 people. I love that. And now they're just uh, they're playing the Tabernacle last time they came through. Uh-huh. Uh, Eric came in. We sat down. We talked about the Big Lebowski. That's his pers- you know. personal favorite. Yeah, mine. and Eric was had some deep knowledge on it, which was great. 
I went to the show that night, hung out backstage, got oh, to know man. the guys a little bit. Nice. Living that life, Noel. I love it, man. It's pretty great. My buddy Eddie uh, went along as well, and uh, we just had a good, good old time hanging out backstage with Dr. Dog. They do a really great cover of this song, Heart It Races, by um, Architecture in Helsinki. Oh, really? Yeah, which is like a, I think an Australian band from like the early aughts that had a... I know that band. Yeah, yeah. They, they, Dr. Dog does a really good cover huh. of that song. All right, well, my advice is to go see Dr. Dog live, everyone. They are good time in concert. All right, thanks, everybody, and uh, we will see you next week on The Mini Crush. Mm-hmm. This is uh, Jake Brennan from the Disgraceland podcast, and I want to quickly tell you about a show I'm executive producing called Dear Young Rocker. This is a music-driven podcast memoir by my friend Chelsea Urson. Chelsea takes us on a journey through her formative years, and together we relive the experience of being a teenager in a way that's raw, real, and instantly relatable. That's right, all the anxiety, awkwardness, insecurity, and formative weirdness that we all felt at one time or another growing up. If you love music and ever felt a little out of place, I have a feeling you're going to love this show. Dear Young Rocker is also set to a nostalgia-inducing soundtrack that will inspire you to pull out those albums from the 90s and the early 2000s. The first few episodes are available now, so search Dear Young Rocker wherever you listen to podcasts and give it a listen. Hey, I'm Joe Levy, and on the latest episode of Inside the Studio, I sat down with one of the all-time great singer-songwriters, James Taylor. We talked about his new album, where his music comes from, and how telling his life story through his songs has helped him. Music saved my life, but I was lucky also to survive. I did some very stupid, some some years that were, were just really high risk, unnecessarily so, and a lot of people around us died, you know. So join me, Joe Levy, editor-at-large at Billboard, for this and other in-depth conversations with the biggest artists in music. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get podcasts.